Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is our regular friend and contributor, Chris Lockhead, in another episode of Lockhead on Different, where Chris, a former entrepreneur, CMO, author, and podcaster, shares his ideas on how companies are differentiating themselves in this crowded and crazy world we live in. Chris, welcome back. We're delighted to have you. Senator Evans, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, some people would consider uh, that an insult, but uh, coming from you, I, I'm sure it's a compliment. Well, then Dr. Evans. How about <laughs> Professor Evans? <laughs> well, they're, they're all worthy. Thank you. Thank you. It's all more than I deserve. Say, Chris, so you're one of the digital all-stars every month coming on talking about uh, different ways of looking at things, different approaches, but it seems like your uh, antenna have gone up over the last several days about some things going on with IPOs and new companies and their impact on the market and sort of what's happening on that end of the tech category. Talk a little bit about uh, what's on your mind, Chris. What caught your attention? Well, here's something different. Tech companies going public again. Mm -hmm. It's about freaking time. And, you know, for quite a while, it, it became uncool to go public. And uh, at the risk of getting myself in trouble, uh, some of these tech companies were a little bit like uh, millennial kids who are 35 years old and wouldn't get out of the basement. And, uh, it, you know, I'm happy to report if you've been paying any attention, we've had some IPOs uh, recently that have done uh, that have done well. And I really believe in the power of IPOs because I think, um, first of all, of course, they can fuel a company's growth by, by in one event, raising a meaningful amount of money. And um, we did some research for my first book. And uh, if I remember right, approximately 100 million is the number that the average tech company raises in an IPO. That might have changed a little bit, but it's roughly in that regard. And so, you know, that's a very meaningful war chest. It also, to me, shows that uh, entrepreneurs are, are playing the long game. You know, not that I begrudge anybody selling their company if that's what they want to do, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we want to see a diversification, if you will, in the tech industry, and we want to see more companies doing more innovative things. And I think if you sell out early before you go public, you know, there's a chance you, 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 you um, rob yourself of that opportunity. So I love to see entrepreneurs playing the long game. And the other thing I love about IPOs is if you, if you, if you could call it the democratization of wealth. You know, one of the things that doesn't get talked about very much is the most employees or many employees in the tech world uh, as part of their compensation receive stock options and it's their way of participating in the dream. And so when these companies go public, we saw Lyft go public very recently and uh, Anaplan and the enterprise space went public recently and, and, you know, a bunch of others. Well, when this happens, there are many, many people who make sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, and sometimes millions of dollars who are not necessarily just the founders. And this is still America, right, Bob? I believe so. Yeah, well, in America, um, making money is a good thing. And, and I also think, more importantly, making money as a result of new innovation, new technology, new value creation for customers and users. And look, it may sound Pollyanna to some, but the, the truth is these companies make a difference in one way or another. And when the people who participate in those companies create value for others, and they can, if you'll allow me the jargon, monetize that value through an IPO, 
and, and make money for themselves. I think that's goodness. I think that uh, we live at a time where having the right incentives for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial people is more important than ever. Uh, according to the Brookings Institute, we're at the lowest level of entrepreneurship in recorded American history. I think there's a lot of things our government, according to the, the Brookings Institute, does to actually hurt entrepreneurship. And so um, all the new innovation comes from entrepreneurs, all the new uh, patents, all the job growth. None of that comes from, with all due respect, IBM or, or GE. It comes from more entrepreneurial companies. And so I think it's a really healthy thing across the board. And in addition to that, I think it's a good thing for management of these companies because it forces a level of rigor and discipline. You know, a lot of people talk about the negativity of, of being on the hook for the quarterly number. And there are some negatives. We can talk about that if you like. But I think there's huge positives around maturing a business to set a plan and meet that plan and beat that plan and grow. And, and it, it, it takes the uh, rigor and discipline uh, around growing and managing a company to a whole other level when you go public. So I think the plus sides of IPOs way out, out, outsize the downsides. And I think the fact that um, we're here is good. And I wanted to just call your attention to this Wall Street Journal story that came out recently. Um, companies that went public in 2019 are up 12% from their IPO prices, according to DealLogic. And according to the journal, tech companies are up 34%, which is, of course, higher than the NASDAQ uh, year-to-date number growth, which is 20%. And so, hey, innovation, technology, IPOs, growth, America, here we go. Love it. Chris, yeah, I, you know, you said one thing in there about it's not talked about a lot that uh, multiple people in these companies participate, right, in the, when these IPOs happen. Why? It would seem to me that ought to be something that the tech industry and anybody interested in business or those great topics you just described, innovation, growth, opportunity, possibility, new value being created, not just financial value, but as you've talked about before, these breakthroughs and things like medical technology, you know, biomedics, those things that are happening that were never possible before. So I don't know why anybody would feel like they don't want to talk about these things that are impacting not just the lives of the people directly involved, but spurring that innovation, that growth and that opportunity that touches people, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, and look, some people may think this is too corny, but I also think it pulls on my heartstrings around human potential. You know, when SpaceX launched that rocket and, and Elon put the Tesla out there and, you know, all that stuff, there was a lot of conversation about it, as there should have been. And, uh, and I think that was a huge achievement. The thing that most people didn't talk about, however, is, hey, wait a minute. SpaceX is a venture-backed technology company. And they achieved something that heretofore only government agencies, whether it's American governments or Russian governments or so on, have been able to achieve, which is, you know, a meaningful uh, effort into space. And in this case, if I'm not mistaken, into Mars. And, and, and before it took governments to do that. And that's cool. And now we have uh, venture-backed companies doing things like that. And, and here's the thing I think people have missed. Elon Musk is a dude. One guy with a handful of other co-founders and engineers and really smart people. So a, a relatively small group of people came together with a big dream and made that happen. And the thing I love about entrepreneurship, and it's the thing that's going on with these IPOs, and I want to talk about Pinterest and Zoom in a second here, but 
The thing that I think people miss is that entrepreneurs and innovators of all kinds are the people who have the courage to slay the cynicism of our times with their dreams. And I'm inspired by that. And I hope more people are inspired by that. You know, let's talk by way of example of Zoom technology, getting ready to go public here, probably public by the time this thing airs. Well, I had the distinct opportunity of spending some time with Eric Yuan, who's the founder of Zoom. And do you know his story, Bob? Yep. Tell us. I think it's one of the most inspirational uh, tech and entrepreneurial stories. So uh, back at the dawn of the internet in the ancient days, uh, right after fire was discovered yes. in the 90s, uh, Eric Yuan was a young engineer living in China, and he saw Netscape go public. And as he shared with me, he was, he was one of the very earliest guests on my podcast, and I kind of fell in love with him as a result. And what he shared with me, Bob, as a young engineer working in China, he saw this and he thought, you know, holy guacamole, Batman, this is really something. I got to find a way to get to Silicon Valley. I want to be part of this. And as fate would have it, uh, a guy that he knew, I forget exactly how he knew him, was one of the early engineers at, at um, WebEx. And so he tried to get to America. And if I'm not mistaken, he failed nine times to get his immigration papers and so forth, which, by the way, shows you we're having the wrong conversation about immigration in our country. Is this stuff going on with the Mexican border worth talking about? Yes, it is. Do we need a policy? Yes, we do. I don't want to get into all that. But here's what I do want to get into. Eric is an immigrant entrepreneur, and our country tried nine times, if I remember right, to keep him out. Anyway, he finally got in, and these are the kinds of immigrants we need. He, got, he was one of the very early, I think he was in the first 30 employees at WebEx. He started off as an engineer. He ends up becoming the head of engineering, Bob, at WebEx. WebEx goes public. They transform communication on the web, as we know. Ultimately, they get acquired by Cisco. And, and Eric is in the same job. Now he's at Cisco, running engineering for the WebEx division. Now, this part of the story is not just entrepreneurial. It's also, I think, a big aha for people in major corporations who want to do legendary shit. Eric goes to his bosses at WebEx. He has what at the time is the idea for Zoom, or at least a kernel of an idea, that mobile and social and cloud change everything, and they need to sort of reimagine communication, right? So he presents these ideas to his bosses, and guess what they say? <laughs> Don't do uh, that. Keep yeah. doing WebEx. <laughs> That's not what we do here. Right. So... Uh, with no due respect to Cisco, and you know, all kidding aside, I do respect what they did. But in this case, they did not allow innovation to flourish. They did not allow the dreamer, the pirate, the innovator to do highly innovative things. So Eric, and I don't think he'd put it this way. He's a very sweet guy. Uh, but he, he sort of gave them the middle finger, left, uh, raised a bunch of angel capital, and started Zoom. And now they're one of the fastest growing enterprise technology companies of all time, and they're going public. And so to me, what does this story tell us? It tells us a story of the power of entrepreneurship and innovation to make a difference. Eric's company, Zoom, in my opinion, has completely transformed um, you know, the way we can communicate with each other. We're recording this podcast 
on his platform. Uh, we don't have to go to as, as many dumb meetings anymore because we can be a lot more productive by whether it's staying in our office or staying in our home. You know, people ask me to go to a meeting. I'm like, go to a meeting? You want me to get in my car, put on pants? What are you talking about? Shave? Why don't I just do this from Zoom, right? Uh, and so he's made a huge contribution to our ability to connect and communicate and collaborate and get work done. And I think that's an uncalculable communication. He's a, and he's a shining example of immigrant entrepreneurs and why we need immigration policy uh, that, that incites legendary people with legendary ideas to come to America and build their futures here. He's a great example of wealth creation and not just for himself, for his investors. And I think for me personally, you know, his employees, there will be hundreds of people who will make, uh, you know, zillions of bucks as this thing goes public. Um, and so I think, oh, and of course the last moral of the story for me is, um, hey, big corporations, when somebody inside the company steps forward with a bold, innovative, courageous idea, and they dare to dream that idea. And, and what do we want to do? We want to do what my new buddy, Safi Bacall, who wrote a great book called Loon Shots, as in moonshots created by lunatics, one of the biggest books of the year. I think it's a hugely important book. We just had him on. Uh, he's amazing. He talks about how big companies can cultivate these loon shots and not make the mistake that Cisco made. Cisco could have Zoom inside Cisco today, but instead, neener nonner, um, you know, Zoom is eating Cisco's lunch. And so I think it's a, a tale for big companies and it's a tale for all of us, whether you're entrepreneurial or whether you're working in a big company. If you dream of doing something legendary and somebody tells you no, there's always a way to stick handle around them and make that dream happen. And look, let me, let me roll around in the flag for a second as an entrepreneur and as, a, as an immigrant as well. We live in a country that encourages this and supports this and creates an environment of innovation and entrepreneur unlike any other country in the world. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying there aren't other amazing countries. I was born in Canada and there's amazing, you know, and Israel does amazing things and there's a lot of cool stuff happening in Asia and Europe. And so I, I, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is the United States of America, Silicon Valley are unique places where somebody can have a dream and go after it and make that dream happen, create a massive amount of value, and one day go public and transform a huge part of the world. And you might think that's corny, but I think that's what our industry is all about. And I think the, 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 the IPOs we're seeing, uh, Zoom is an example, is an inspiration to remind all of us that one, at one time, one young Chinese engineer had a dream to come to America and do some legendary stuff, and here he sits. Yeah, Chris, fantastic story. There's a, a couple things. I want to translate something uh, for our audience, right? Because you just mentioned that you're from Canada. So a minute ago, you talked about stick handling around a problem. And folks, <laughs> that's a Canadian term meaning, you know, get around, negotiate, navigate, the hockey thing. No, was great. Chris, you know, what I loved about what you were saying there, and I, I want to draw a parallel to something you said, that of all the beautiful things you said, the story of Zoom and Jerry and what went on and loon shots and so on like this. Uh, you said, this really captures the notion of how you slay the cynicism of our time with their dreams. Right? And I was really touched by that. And it 
um, seven, eight years ago when I worked at SAP, Bill McDermott had just become the CEO and he was talking to the salespeople at a, at a meeting. And up in the front row were all the top executives and board members of SAP. <clears throat> and he apparently had just come through a pretty tough discussion about wanting to raise the expectations for the company that people on the board didn't want to go along with because it was risky. And in this public forum with the board members right out there in front, Bill McDermott said to the salespeople, he said, complacency is a thief. And he said, complacency steals your dreams. And he said, I will not allow shallow expectations to steal your dreams. And those people just about tore the roof off of this place, right? Because this leadership motivation, making it personal and not just personal, but it isn't about, am I going to make, you know, my bonus this month or this quarter, something like that. It is about their dreams. When you reach inside somebody to get the most ultimately human part of who and what they are, this is my dream and how I see myself and what's going on. I couldn't agree with you more about the impact that can have and how that radiates. And you get somebody who feels that way, wants to go somewhere. How do you, you know, tap into that? So much of your work is about different and it's seeming to be focused on you know, entrepreneurs, because it's easier to go that way, break away from the big company crap that, you know, can too often get saddled there. But maybe we start to see some of these things. And maybe some of these big companies are going to realize, I can't butt heads with them, as you said, maybe it's time that those companies have to find better ways to nurture, identify, and really give those people the chance to live their dreams. Yes. And in a lot of ways, that's what, what Safi Bacall's new book, which I highly recommend, Loonshots, is about. And he talks about how, you know, the average person in the corporate world, their job is, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, so this is my synthesis of his book, but, you know, their job is to essentially run shit and make shit work. And look, hey, running shit and making shit work is way important. So I am in no way uh, uh, being pejorative about that. And, and with certain kinds of things, you know, I want to make sure that it's run nice and tight. I want to make sure that the engineers who certify our cars to be safe are very focused on that. We don't want them innovating, taking chances. We want them making sure the shit works the way it's supposed to. There's a huge role for that. So I am in no way, shape or form uh, being pejorative about that. At the same time, if we want to move forward in an exponential way, and this is a thing Safi talks about, we have to hack off part of the corporation, part of the organization that can focus on the dreamers and pirates and innovators who can, who can try out for those loon shots who are, who it's okay to fail. It's not okay to fail if you're in QA at GM. <laughs> Don't be failing there. We saw, we saw this horrible thing going on with Boeing right now. Horrible. And in my opinion, what they did and how they handled it is absolutely unconscionable right? So do we want Boeing as they ship a new product to be very focused on that it all works tickety-boo and that there's no risk and all that? Absolutely. But in the innovation stage, in the creation stage, we as organizations and we as people need to free ourselves up from the risks of failure to try stuff. And, and Eric, you on Zoom story is a great example of how Cisco screwed up and not allowing him to do that. And he was essentially forced to leave to create his own loon shot. And now Neener Nonner, he's going to put him out of business. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, Chris, you know, uh, I, I, as you were describing that, uh, right, there's a mentality that seeps into some big companies where they, uh, 
you know, just say, that's not how we do things. And to me, that is becoming just so toxic, so poison, because <clears throat> this notion that the world now is run by how you do things or how you've done things, it just runs totally counter to the reality of today, right? You do things as a company based on what those people outside who are called customers are going to give you money for. And as their expectations need change, what you did in the past matters less and less. It doesn't mean it's irrelevant or you should be ashamed of it. A lot of it's quite wonderful. But that ability to change, the ability, your world, to be different, to move in new ways like that, it's going to be very, very painful for some companies to go through. But I hope as others observe that and see, hey, do we want to take the difficult step of re- orienting and reimagining how we should think, how we should engage, how we should foster dreams, or do we want to go down that ultimately, not just painful, but deadly road of uh, becoming utterly irrelevant. So I, I, I love this notion of what you're getting at here because this stark reality, I think that's also one of the great things about entrepreneurship. It's going to make big existing companies either much better or it's going to make them very dead. And even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur and do exactly what Eric uh, did, you know, there's this concept that's been rolling around in my head uh, recently, and um, uh, the phrase that's in my head is personal entrepreneurship. And that is, um, how do we all be more entrepreneurial in our lives and our careers? So even if you work at GE or IBM, right, if you begin to view yourself as a personal entrepreneur, and you begin to think in some ways that entrepreneurs think. So if, you're, if, you're, if your employer is not your employer, but they're your client, they're your customer, how, what would you do, right? And if you were responsible for your career, and if you were getting paid for results the way uh, an entrepreneur gets paid for results, that is to say you make a product or service that people value and they pay you for it, and if they don't value it, they don't pay you for it. You know, we've slipped into this thing in part of our world, Bob, where people think that, companies or organizations owe them something and you know what well, how come you're not helping me plan my career path and you don't you know I, I we don't serve the coffee that i like in the, in the cafeteria and how, how come you know whatever it is right it's like hey wait a minute the company's job is not to give you all this stuff if you have the mindset of a personal entrepreneur and and the and your employer is your customer is your client and you say okay how do i exceed expectations of my client? How do I become the provider, the supplier, the partner to my customer, to my client that is the preferred, preferred provider in the space in which I'm in? That's a fundamental shift in mindset. The other shift in mindset that I think is important, particularly for those of us who work in tech, whether we're in big companies or entrepreneurial companies or wherever we are in tech is to take a step back. I had this aha, you know, I've, I've been educated so much because of doing my podcast. I had this aha about a year ago, Bob, from many of our guests who got me to understand we're living at the greatest time in history to be in our industry and maybe even to be alive. And if you go through, and you and I have talked about this, if you go through the list of amazing things that are going on, whether it's you know, 3D printing to IoT to AI to, to augmented reality, we just had um, a futurist Mark Pesci on my podcast, who says the next big platform is glasses. Uh, I don't know whether he's right or he's wrong, but he sees he, some big stuff coming there. So anyway, there's a long list of massive innovations, new categories, new technologies coming out. If you take the personal entrepreneur mindset 
and you and and we try to educate ourselves on all the new exciting stuff genomics all of it there's so much exciting stuff going on with innovation right now i think one of the most powerful questions we can ask is if we were smart and we were us what would we do about it how can we participate in it if we're a personal entrepreneur how can we create value in it if we look at the stuff that's going on today and say okay well these new solutions, they also do create new problems. You and I have talked about this before. How do we get in front of those problems and be an innovator in that regard? These are the types of things that Eric Yuan was thinking about and, and look at where he is today. And look, people may not want to do something as dramatic as what he did, but so we all have to decide. But I think if you take a who I am as a personal entrepreneur, even if I do have a paycheck, and we start to think about all the exciting new technologies and business models and approaches that are out there, I think it changes the way we think about what's possible for us in our careers and in our lives. And I, I, as corny as it may sound to some, that's what inspires me about these entrepreneurs who are now going public is they are, and this will not get reported in the mainstream media. I think what they're all really doing is reminding us what's possible when a relatively small group of people get together and to your point on, on Bill, they remove the cynicism. It's easy to be cynical. It's easy to look at Washington and be cynical. It's easy to say, oh, you know, the system is rigged against us or the this or the that or the whatever, right? Uh, you know, one of my favorite bands, Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. It, you know, put aside the cynicism, dare to dream, dare to innovate, dare to do something legendary. And, and, and we're at a time where we can do this at a level that we never could do before. Yeah, Chris, beautifully said. Again, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to mind your business, but you had to you had to maybe think about writing a book or you know <laughs> getting into the, the podcast stuff because uh, it, it's fascinating. And I I, I feel terrible uh, sometimes when you see young people, especially any age. I think it's awful, but young people who feel like they come out feeling like you know the the whiny thing you were doing a minute ago. You know. They don't pay me enough. They don't let me take my dog to work enough. You know, somehow I'm a victim. The odds are stacked, blah, 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 blah. So what do you do? You retreat more inside. You fail to uh, realize that, you know, your uniqueness, your individuality, your courage, your, the challenges you face are what's going to define you as a person. And, uh, you know, you end up just sort of crawling in. But I think that, it was Dr. Seuss who said, if it was meant to be, it's up to me. <laughs> Well, right, let's so. get busy. We can get busy. Eric Yuan came here with nothing. Got off a plane in Silicon Valley, San Francisco. And here he is some 20, 25 years later. And he's one of the oh. most important enterprise technology entrepreneurs and innovators of the modern era. And if you're not inspired by that, you know, candidly, you're not paying fucking attention. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it means something to us in our lives. And again, even if we don't want to swing you know, that hard. I'm not going to go do what Eric did. But in my world, I'm trying to do things that excite me and that innovate and that, that hopefully make a contribution. And, you know, we can all decide, you know, where you want to dial your own personal meter on this stuff. But being cynical, being resigned, uh, uh, asking what, what's my employer going to do for me, you know, it's the Kennedy thing, right? Ask not what America will do for you, right? Ask what you can do for your community, for your company, for, for, for your church, for your family. How can you be a more innovative person? And these technologies are allowing us to do things 
look, look at what you and I are doing with our podcasting and our writing. Bob Evans has created the Cloud Wars Media Company. And what used to take tens of millions of dollars to do, uh, you can do now for very little money, reach you know thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people, make a difference and, and make this new career for yourself as a media company, as a guru, as a writer, as a podcaster, as a thinker, right? We have the tools today to do things that were not possible even five years ago. And I just find it, it, it sad when people settle for that sort of incremental approach. They allow the cynicism to bury them. Cynicism is easy. It's easy to be apathetic. And look, I don't want to sound overly preachy. I, I can get depressed. I can feel like, you know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I want to eat some worms. I can feel like, uh, you know, I'm not making a difference. I can feel like I don't get it and everybody else does. We all, we all have times in our lives when we go to those places where we feel defeated. But what I've learned is that it's easy to be depressed. It's easy to be defeated, right? And the people that inspire me are the people who pick themselves up. And now's the time more than ever before. Amen, brother. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Chris. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to check in with you too, coming back, because you've got another interesting story having to do with a, a company called Pinterest. I know that was on your, on your list there. So what are you thinking about with those folks? So here's what I love about Pinterest. Uh, first of all, um, uh, my wife is all about this thing. I don't understand it, but she's all about it. She loves it. it, it, it so I see through her what a difference this has made to the Pinterest users. People who love this technology absolutely love it. So number one, Pinterest has allowed people to, to create these collections and share these collections and so forth in a way that has really improved a lot of people's lives. So they, like many of the great technology uh, entrepreneurial companies, are making a huge difference, number one. Number two, they're category designers. This didn't exist before. Nobody was doing this before. They saw an opening that uh, nobody else ever saw. And I think that is incredibly, uh, incredibly inspiring to have the courage to be willing to swing for a new category that nobody could even see coming. And uh, his name is Ben Silberman, who's the founder of this thing. And he had the courage, like we've been talking about, to go for it. The other thing I love about Pinterest, Pinterest is a failure. And what I mean by that is, the idea that is Pinterest today doesn't look anything like what they started. As a matter of fact, they had another name. They were originally called Tote. And the original idea was something along the lines of sort of aggregating uh, interesting content for, for commerce so that, so that you could sort of look at a collection of things and buy stuff. And that didn't go anywhere, if I, if I remember the original vision. I, I never saw Tote, so you'll have to excuse me. But I do know it was called Tote. I do know it was a different idea. I do know it had a more commerce bent. And I do know it didn't work. And Ben and his co-founders had the audacity to say, you know, this implementation of our idea didn't work, but we learned some stuff from that. And maybe the idea is a little, you know, 45 degree angle to the left or whatever. And Ben was a kid who, who liked collecting shit. I think he collected bugs and shit. And he realized he had this aha that the things that we collect 
are part of our identity. They're a reflection of our personality. And if you think about, you know, when I was a little boy, I collected baseball cards, right? And, and you know, I love guitars today. And, you know, I, you know the answer to how many surfboards do you need, Bob? Uh, six. No, you always need one more. <laughs> right? And so if you're somebody who is passionate about things, uh, many of us have little collections of things, whether it's one or two things, or, you know, maybe we go mental and, and collect, you know, all kinds of baseball cards or whatever we collect. But this was a profound human insight that Ben and his co-founders had. They realized their original idea wasn't going to go, but they didn't give up. They tilted the idea. They quote unquote pivoted. They rebranded the company and they created this whole new category. And here they sit on the precipice of you know, a $10 billion plus, we'll see when it happens, um, but a gigantic IPO. Again, the power of entrepreneurship, the, the, the courage to slay the cynicism of our times with your dreams, the ability to be flexible in the moment and not, on one hand, be willing to be adaptive, but not give up, right? And now here they are. And if you don't find that inspiring, I don't think you're paying attention. Or maybe don't have a heartbeat. Uh... Chris, I think, you know, what you were describing there was so profound about that is you got to have that combination you described there just at the end, right? That single mindedness, you know, I am going to, this is going to work. This is going to work yet to have the mental flexibility in there also to say it is going to work, but maybe not exactly as I thought it would a year ago, you know, with more feedback, with more uh, exposure out in the community, we're going to find a better way to do this. So that to me is the, the mark of somebody who goes from being sort of the, the fanatic over to the type of uh, lunatic that uh, Safi Bacall talks about in Loon Shots, right? That, that, that courage and the confidence to adapt and to change, to move into different spaces. I've been um, um, talk I'm going to be given in a couple of weeks. I was doing some research. One of the things I found with Under Armour, uh, you know, the uh, athletic apparel yeah, yeah. company, their, uh, their mission statement, uh, it, it closed with this, that, you know, we create things that you never knew you needed, and now you cannot live without. Amen. Right? So there's a vision, a vision, right? That's, that's a little bit scary, a little bit weird. You did, never knew you needed. Now you can't live without. And to me, that sort of captures so much of what you were talking about. The example you used, Chris, of when Jerry Yuan was still over in China, wasn't it? You said he looked at, wasn't it Netscape's IPO? Yeah, that if I remember the story. Yeah, if I remember the story, and his name's Eric, Eric Yuan. Eric. If I remember the story er, er, that he shared with me, uh, uh, he said he was a young engineer. He was working. I think he had become an engineering manager in some kind of company uh, in China. And uh, he saw the news. He saw that Netscape, you know, the creator of the browser and, and really the company that, that sparked the internet in a lot of ways. I think they deserve a lot more credit than they get. Um, and, uh, you know, God bless Mark Andreessen. Um, and Jim Barksdale and all those folks. Anyway, uh, he saw that and they had a hugely successful IPO at the time. Another theme of today, right? When they went public, it signaled to the world, hey, the internet is real. It unleashed a whole lot of other IPOs and innovation that came. And he said, hey, I want to be part of that. How do I get to America? How do I join a, a Netscape-like company? How do I play in this new game, right? And And that's the amazing thing about uh, technology innovation, innovation of any kind, category design, and entrepreneurship as they all sort of come together as sort of 
innovators, entrepreneurs, dream up new approaches, new technologies, new categories of things to your point on Under Armour that we didn't know we needed, that now we can't live without. This is the heart of entrepreneurship. This is the heart of category design. This is what lifts people up, right? Uh, and my story is that story as well. And it's the story of many, many entrepreneurs, right? People who come from, you know, relative nothing and, and seize the carpe diem around some of these ideas and approaches and go for it. And, and I think if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what does. And, and again, no matter where you want to do this in your career, we live at a time where, this is just my personal belief, it behooves us to think about these things and decide what kind of action we're going to take to participate in them. Um, and, and these new entrepreneurs and these new IPOs, it won't be reported in the Wall Street Journal this way. It'll be all financial. And, you know, like after Lyft went public, I said, oh, well, the stock dropped. Their IPO wasn't a success. Go fuck yourself. What do you mean? A couple guys got together and completely reimagined transportation and created a massively valuable company that tens of millions of people love all around the world. So what if the stock went down? Listen, I don't, you know, some people might have lost some money betting on the stock in the early days, but give your head a shake. What are you talking about? This, this is what makes America. This is what makes technology. This is what makes entrepreneurship. This is category design and action. This, this, is what may, this is legendary shit going on in our world. Wake up. <laughs> hey, that, that, talk about legendary. Chris, I don't think uh, there, there's no comeback to that. There's, there's no improving on what you just said. Uh, courage, cynicism, dreams, ambition, reality, uh, changing, distorting things. Thanks. You are a, you're a champ. Again, I encourage you, break out of your shell. Be afraid to share it. Don't be afraid to share your ideas. Maybe write a book. Maybe do a podcast. Yeah. You've got a couple of those, right? Yeah. yeah. Do something. Get busy. <laughs> Get out there. Chris, thanks. This is so great that you're on with us monthly here. I was uh, doing Lockhead on different um, fabulous stuff today. And I think that that... Let me say this one more time as we close. Slay the cynicism of our times with their dreams. Fantastic. Thank you, Bob. I love you. You're the best, my friend. Thanks so much. And folks, thanks to you for watching. We'll be back with uh, Professor Lockhead here in about a month. We've got lots more in between then here on Cloud Wars Live. Thanks for spending your time with us.